Hey, Wilder, not feeling well? Oh, I just have the never-ending cold, but I'll be okay. <laughs> you know, I, it's funny. I'm hearing it from a lot of friends. I think our immune systems really did get used to being exposed to absolutely nothing, right? But this yeah. is your second or third one in the last couple months. Sorry, I hang in there. I think it's just one long forever cold. Okay. But that's okay. Okay. I'll make well, it. Well, you sound good and you picked an, I can't believe the film you picked. But before we even get to that, we wanted to just celebrate the 25th anniversary of The Birdcage. Okay. I mean, what a great movie. Uh, you know, such a great movie, but also so many interesting elements to it. Like, for example, the roles were originally switched. Did you know that? Which is hilarious. I mean, can you even imagine? Well, do you think it would have been better if they had switched the roles? I can't even picture it because it's so ingrained in my mind as they are who they are. And they're so great. I mean, Robin Williams is Robin Williams. <laughs> right. Now, Steve Martin, by the way, I just want to go over a couple of fun things people might not have known because a lot of people are watching it again, and it's certainly a good watch again. There's no question about it. But Steve Martin was originally set to play Armand. Did you know that? No, I didn't know that. I saw in the you shared a, a new history with me, and I, I, I think that's hysterical because- I know. How, how such different types of comedy. I mean, they're both comedic geniuses, but so different. Well, but also so outside his wheelhouse of what he's done, you know, I think it would have been really an interesting thing to see. And I think it could have been as good. I'm not saying better. Rarely do I see somebody in a movie this strong. And I think, oh God, I wish they had had that role especially when the two main characters are so vividly portrayed. But I would have liked to see Steve Martin attempt that role. I would. I mean, I think it would have been a very different movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, but could have been equally interesting, right? Sure. Yeah. Sure. But yeah. The, the chemistry between Robin Williams and Nathan Lane is just, I mean, it's, it's undeniable, the two of them together. Well, and then the real standout is Hank Azaria. I mean, yes. I can't even imagine, first of all, He's Agador, Spartacus, and what a name. I mean, come on. He's But he was Albert's dresser originally. He was not going to be the houseman. And they expanded the role because he was so genius at it. Robin Williams recommended that they expand the role. What a great opportunity for this guy, huh? I mean, Hank Azaria is, is a huge talent. I fell in love with him when he was on Mad About You. I mean forever ago well he it's interesting while they were shooting the birdcage he was also shooting heat at the same time I forgot that he's in heat i know <laughs> i know and i mean but also it's a physical role i mean it must be exhausting but so he comes to this uh shoot one day and he's been up all night shooting one of the last episodes or something and nichols sent him home and said you know it's your birthday it was He'd been shooting for 18 hours straight on heat, and he said, go home, and he, and he did. so. And then David Allen Greer was originally set to play the butler. Oh, that's a very different type of casting. Hank Azaria is, he's a mimic. He's, he's a chameleon. He's one of those people. He's, a, he's one of the voices on The Simpsons. He's been a, lo- a long time voice on The Simpsons. I know there was some controversy around that as well, but it, what a different kind of approach to that role. Well, I, you know, I don't know much about him, actually. So do you think he could have pulled it off? David Allen Greer? Yeah. Absolutely. It yeah. just would have been a very different relationship. I, you know, it's also just a different, I mean, you've got a, a class and race issue there. And I think Robin Williams pointed out that the idea of having a black man being their servant was a questionable choice, especially around 
a topic that's already taking on a lot of questions when you're talking about homosexuality in the early 90s. Like this wasn't this wasn't something that was like broadcast around the world at, at that time. We wasn't Will and Grace yet. So I think, I don't know. I think he definitely could have done it. I think it would have been a different kind of movie, but I also think you're bringing up different conversations and you got to kind of choose which conversations your movie's about. And I think that certainly would have been worthy to bring up. Absolutely. But the question is, was that what the movie they were trying to make? Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, so everybody, when it came out, was talking about, okay, they probably improved half of it. You know, that you can't put those two together and not have Mike a lot Mike Nichols' of movie. I don't know. Well, it's funny. So here's what Nichols had to say about that. We had a rule on the picture, Nichols said. The actors would do the written script until I was satisfied. And then we would do one take in which they could improvise. Given this cast, there was obviously some improvs that were insanely funny but didn't fit the story. But there were moments all through the picture that are improvised and were perfect. It would have been fun for somebody to put out a reel of some of the improvs around it, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. But I also, I mean, when it comes to Mike Nichols and Elaine May, I don't know how you necessarily improve on what they've put together because they're such geniuses. Not to say that Robin Williams couldn't have done it and Nathan Lane, absolutely. But when it comes to the story, you got to make sure you're saying what needs to be said. Yeah. Now, also, Nichols had to move to another room when they were shooting because he was laughing so hard and so loud that it was getting, it was bothersome. And I thought, uh, what, a, what a fun shoot to be on. Like, I have never, I, you know, of course, my, my very, very dear Silence of the Lambs is something I would love to have been on set for, but I would love to have been on set for The Birdcage. And, for example, when Robin Williams falls in the kitchen, that was not in the script. He just fell. And both of them are <laughs> laughing in it. I mean, it, you know, you just can't get better, you know. I I think it's hysterical that the man who wrote the script couldn't contain his laughter. He knows what's coming. He knows what's happening. That's how good these guys are as actors because they're surprising him with his own words. Right. Now, and we got to end, we got to end this little happy birthday montage with the fact that when he started filming The Birdcage, Mike Nichols was designated as a loser, out of touch, past his prime. Can you remind me why that was? I'm not sure exactly why he was written off, but I know the two prior movies that he had done, and one of them was Wolf, actually, uh, which you had just mentioned, were not well-received. But I don't know, and there were other falls for great. You know, he was a controversial director, no question. So, But when he was on the vineyard and they just finished doing the final cut and he watched it with his team, they had a celebration that night because he knew he had nailed it. He knew that everybody was going to come out of the gate saying, well done, well... I mean, he knew that he had totally rejuvenated his career. So good for him, you know? I mean, it's a storied career. But, you know, Nichols and May are two of the most iconic names you'll hear in Hollywood history. So sad that he had that moment, but it seems to me like it was just a moment. Yeah, turned out it was. But also, he I think he even had trouble getting financing because of it. But at any rate, a happy birthday... To the birdcage, and may you be watched forever, you know? I think it's one that'll stand the test of time. (laughs) Okay, and now we have to go, I mean, Wilder, when you said no sudden move, because also it's on Apple, I watched it on Apple, is there anywhere else you can watch it? HBO Max, it's on HBO Max. Okay, when you said no sudden move, and I watched it, I just want to start with a little bit of an intro. Okay, so on comes... 
it looks like it's a film from the 50s. I mean, the font is so thick you could cut it with the carving knife, you know. And then you have this incredible, I mean, he's Soderbergh's known for all this stuff, but you have this incredible backdrop, incredible cinematography of this man of color walking down the street. You have no idea who he is, where he's going. He walks for a really long time, almost a little bit too long, but not quite. He gets to his destination, he walks in, and i it's not going to change anything to talk about how friggin' brilliantly this is written. And he says to the guy in the thing, you said there was somebody who wanted to see me, and the head of the barbershop says, yeah, he's out back. And he goes, why is he out back? What, is he white? Like, as in a place where white people can't come in. He goes, yeah, as a matter of fact, he is. And then he's like, okay. You know, I just thought to myself, you can't do better than this. You cannot get a better opening two-minute montage than that. Do you agree? I, I think they did a brilliant job. I mean, Ed Solomon's a fantastic writer, for one. I love Every most of his movies. <laughs> it's a tough movie to follow, I will say that. It's uh, it's not a fast-paced movie, but the information that's given to you, it's a little hard to keep up with. What You've got to really pay attention to the dialogue that's happening between the characters. Well, he gives you no backs. There's no backstory. You don't. Well, there is. Right. If you pay, if you pay very close attention yeah. to the conversations that are happening between, you know, this is, it's a pretty small cast. There's a couple of surprises in there. If you stick with it till the end, I won't give that away. But Soderbergh also shot it, and I we. By the way, he held the camera himself. Yeah, he's he's yeah. the DP on it. Yeah. Um, and he, I mean, he's the genius, obviously, but. The film is gorgeous. We were watching it and we had to stop because we wondered if we had the settings wrong on our television because the picture is fading out towards the corners. And I was like, is, was this shot on a fisheye lens? Like, what's <laughs> going on here? And we had to look it up and it was. It was shot on a fisheye lens. So you've got that bending of the of the background right. as the character, your characters are in are in full glory in the center of the of the frame but towards the sides they're actually fading out of the picture and you've got these black corners because the lens is actually bigger than the film that it's recording on and it's stunning i mean the the colors are gorgeous the movement is it's almost like a dance the way oh that my God. Films. It's, just, um, it, it's it, it is it's, every it, shot it, is so well planned yep. uh the casting's Phenomenal. All right. And also, did you notice Noah Jupe? Remember him from? Love Noah Jupe. Honey Boy for well, me. Well, no. For me, it's The Undoing. We just talked about that a couple months ago. Oh, right. I forgot he was in that. Sorry. He's also in Ford versus Ferrari. He's a, a new young, keep your eye on him. He will go far. I don't even think you have to keep your eye on him because. Because he's in everything. <laughs> he's in everything. But I think, you know, I wanted to say. Young actors usually take whatever they can get that they're offered because mm -hmm. there isn't that much around for them. But this guy's picking very well. I think yeah. that if you look at what he's done, I mean, you're right. Honey Boy is, is certainly one of them. But also Ford versus Ferrari, A Quiet Place, and The Undoing, and now this. I think that's smart choices. I do. Oh, yeah. He's great. And he's very talented. I was blown away by Don Cheadle. Ah, he's everybody's phenomenal in this. Yeah, I yeah. mean, he, I've gotten used to him in the Marvel movies, which, you know, he's a lot of fun in those, but you almost forgot what a great actor he is until he picks up this role. Well, not only that, he does it quietly. 
It's a quiet, yeah. yeah. And it's all done with his voice, very little physicality. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's not so friggin' easy to do, especially in a movie that has a lot of hostility in this action. You know? Oh, yeah. There's a, yeah. I mean, this is the 1950s Detroit. Yep. So there's a lot of racism. It's interesting how it's presented because it's these three men who are working together. Don Cheadle's the only black man. Benicio del Toro, interestingly enough, is referred to as white throughout the whole movie. I think they're passing him off as Italian, which is interesting. And then you've got Kieran Culkin, who I can watch do anything. He's so fantastic. Well, and not only that, you know, from the famous Culkin family. So, of course, you know, they come with acting chops. But get this. So you're talking about the racism in the film. The guy getting in the car says, you know, to Cheadle, can you get in the front? And he said, no, I like to sit in the back. And everybody understands why. Okay, so Cheadle says, well, then you can get in the back. And he moves over. Okay, the guy wipes the seat down before he gets in. Yeah. And it's so, it's so simple. It's, by the way, it's all the camera seeing. So it's mm-hmm. it's pointed. It's definitely on it. But when you see it, you don't even necessarily realize unless you're paying close attention he doesn't want to sit on a seat that uh, the black person just sat on so yeah the racism in it is just layered in you know as as well as tulips in a garden i mean it's just brilliant i think i think the whole movie was brilliant i think it's beautifully paced it's pretty slow i mean it's a soderbergh film you're you don't mind you know, you're not mad at him no i'm not mad at him there's no point at which you're sitting there going okay move it i along. know right because it's it's so beautifully shot and it's funny did you laugh Oh, yeah. It's unsuspectingly funny. You know, Brendan Fraser is in this when you will be surprised to see him. He looks a little different than maybe the last couple of movies you've seen him in. You know what? I didn't realize that was him until you just said it. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yep. Also very, very well played. Well, he's great. Totally different role for him. Totally different. The funny part, one of the funny parts in the movie, and I can say this, is Benicio does it really well. He's so nuanced. And he's supposed to watch the wife of somebody downstairs while they're upstairs with her husband. And he's tired. He's been up for a while. And he's got a mask on. And we all know how it feels to wear a mask when you're tired of wearing a mask, right? Yeah. He wants to take the mask off. So he picks up, and it takes like... 25 seconds for him to do this he picks up a blanket and he holds it up and he starts to sort of unfold it and organize it and then he says to her I'm really sorry but I'm tired and so I'm going to do this okay and he throws the blanket over her head and she's just sitting there like a six-year-old ghost from Halloween you know yeah just sitting there not moving under the blanket you can hear her sniffing a little bit and then he sits down he can relax he takes his mask off and then, he takes a drink, like and most then scenes. They're leaving, and this poor woman still has a blanket. On. It's so funny. I just burst out laughing. And he, but he plays it well. It, it's really well done. It's not slapstick. It's no. not. What is it? What kind of humor is that? I thought it was so well done. It's just really well delivered and good timing. And yeah. I, what I also thought was really interesting is that they call this job a babysitting job, right? The three guys are hired to go to a house. The husband works somewhere that they need some information from. And so one of the guys is going to go with the husband. The other two are going to babysit the family until they come back with the information. So it's a really easy job and there's not a lot of tension. 
right? Until there is. And when there is, it's big. <laughs> There's a very, there are turns in this movie that- yeah, Really well done. Soderbergh's just a genius when it comes to that suspense, really taking you on that journey with him. And as it unfolds, the final quarter of the movie, every single scene has something that you go, what? Okay, yeah. but I got to tell you, there were no, I mean, in other words, it was laid out. You could have picked it up. It's not totally out of the realm of possibility. No. It's really well done. And what did you think of John Hamm as Joe Finney? John Hamm's great. You know, I don't think he gave me any surprises. I think there's a scene right before some big reveals that give me a much bigger surprise. It, you won't you won't find it in the credits. You won't find it in the reviews. So stick with this movie till the end because you'll get a nice little gift towards the end. No, you absolutely will. You absolutely will. I loved the conversation of the morality in this movie because they they really Benicio and Kieran, and it's definitely racist, right? They judged on Cheadle's character for wanting too much, right? For for wanting more. Never nothing is ever enough for him. It's never, he's never satisfied. And that's kind of the main question of these two, Benicio and, and Don, in their journey of this movie. But ultimately, it's a question of who ends up coming out ahead. And I think they did it really beautifully. I do too. And I think Cheadle, I think again, he's choosing well because he could have got stuck in that genre that he was sort of in with his, yeah. you know. And this is a very, very nuanced, dramatic role you know he's great in it and the women can we talk about the women in this movie yeah we can because this this is not can we I talk mean, about how really that's your life yeah each and every woman that's their that's your life they're all housewives or they're secretaries and they're all brilliant they're so well cast they're so well written right and this is you know men writing for women and they really paid attention and all of the women in this, including Frankie Shaw, who plays kind of your your secretary, your moral quandary character in this, are just really grounded, gorgeous, right? The clothes are gorgeous. The makeup is gorgeous. The hair is spot on. The cars are amazing. Like, everybody's smoking in every scene. Uh, <laughs> By the way, they're smoking at the table. Yeah, they're smoking at the table while they're while they're while eating. While they're eating, which yeah. I had forgotten my mother and father used to do. I remember yeah. now. Yeah. But also, I think Julia Fox is the standout on this. She plays this woman, Vanessa Capelli. And at the beginning, Benicio says to her, well, I really think you're somebody I like. I think it's sexy that you've always got an ulterior motive, which, by the way, is a tip-off to something that happens later. And I think she stood out. And she's on camera very little, actually. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe five minutes, probably. I don't think much more. You've got to really pay attention because yeah. she came back later. And I was like, wait, oh, who is she? Oh, right. Okay, yeah. that's how all these all of these characters are connected. Everyone's inter interwoven really well. And it's written so well because there's not wasted language. There aren't nope. wasted sentences. There's not a word that doesn't belong. But it does lay out for you what you're going to need later to understand what went on. So Yeah, just pay close attention. Don't watch this when you're tired. Yeah. Oh, did you watch when you were tired? No, uh -huh. I'm just saying don't. Yeah. <laughs> I actually watched it today before we were podcasting, but I want to highlight your pick. You know, it's not easy choosing. And I think I have to give you kudos on this, Wilder. There's a lot out there. And without the big screen and films being launched every week, 
and narratives that, you know, everybody's covering, it's a little harder to pick things because there's so much out there and they're all, there's so many different streaming services. And it's not as if there's an automatic thing that everybody in America knows is coming out that week. So, well, except for Black Widow this week, but thank you. (laughs) Uh, Are we going to do it? Do you want to do it or not? Oh, I want to see it. I don't know if we need to necessarily review it. I, well, if you know. you're going to see it, girlfriend, then we're going to review it. And you know what? <laughs> There's one reason and one reason only to do this film. And I think we should do it for this reason. Do you know what it is? Do you Are you on the same place as me? Because it's the first singularly female-led Marvel movie. I know. I agree. I So, you know what? Maybe that's important because move over, boys. Here we come, you know? Yeah, it took, it, it took Marvel seeing Wonder Woman do so well to finally say, yeah, I guess we can. <laughs> so I guess it wasn't the first one then, because Wonder Woman... It's not the first superhero movie, but it's the first Marvel. Ah, okay. All right, That yeah. Um, and Wonder Woman did do well, really well. Wonder Woman did do well. Wonder Woman 2, not my fave, but... I don't think I even saw it. That's how not... You're not missing really yeah. very much yeah. at all. Exactly. <laughs> So anyway, what a great film. We're so excited to be able to present to you this this week. And also go back, take the put the family together, watch the birdcage. It really lasts and stands the test of time. I think I'll watch it once a decade for sure. What about you? Well, maybe make sure your kids are of a certain age to watch that movie. But absolutely. <laughs> once they are, watch it with the family. Yeah, right. Absolutely. So have a great week and we'll talk with you guys next week. 